0: Oh, there are a lot of recognizable names in this world, in history, today, and in the future there will be, but none is recognizable, none is life-changing, none is praiseworthy, none is more soothing to the soul than the name Jesus. His name has changed many, many lives and... In a couple messages from today's, we're going to look at the verse where it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Is anybody awake out there today? I haven't even told you to turn anywhere in the Bible. You're not looking at me. I'm talking about the name of Jesus. Give me some feedback. Don't bring the weather into this place. Speaking of the weather, I went out early this morning. For breakfast, and I thought to myself, I don't know if anybody's going to come to church in this. I'm glad you're here. Truly, I'm glad you're here. So if you're a little quiet today, I'll give you a pass for the first five minutes. But we got to get into this. This is the Word of God. The inerrant, infallible, holy, perfect Word of God. It might be our last chance to hear it together. And it might be my last chance to preach it, so I'm going to do it the best I can. And I hope you'll listen and participate and respond. The best you can because God has something for us today. Amen. Philippians chapter 1 as we continue our series entitled Partners in the Gospels. Paul wrote back to the church he helped to start. The thing that made him the happiest and brought the most joy to his heart was that he could look back at these people. It was a small church out in the middle of nowhere. But they were partners in the gospel with him. They gave. They prayed. They prayed. They served, they sacrificed, so that the word of God, the good news of Jesus, could go forth. Paul loved that about this church, and that's what we ought to be as a church as well. We're going to be looking in verse 27, four verses today, 27 through 30. If you didn't bring your copy of God's word, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. If you did bring your copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to look on that today. Don't be so gullible as to think everything I put on there is right. You probably ought to look at the Word of God on your lap. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. Verse number 27. Only let your conversation be as it is, becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. The title of the message today is Living as Citizens of Heaven. Living as Citizens of Heaven. Lee Greenwood, you might have heard of him. He's famous for writing the song, God Bless the USA. He wrote it the year I was born, they say, in 1984. This song has been sung by many people in many places all over the United States of America. The chorus of the song goes like this, and I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I'll gladly stand up next to you, And defend her still today, for there is no doubt, I love this land, God bless the USA. What a lyric. I I love the emphasis of the first line where it says, and I'm proud to be an American. Are you proud to be an American today? I'm proud. We are. We've sung this exact song many a time in our patriotic program that we do called Liberty. And without fail, we get to the chorus of the song where it says, and I'll gladly stand up next to you, and you can just, I I don't get to see it, but I can almost sense it behind me. The hair on my neck stands up as the audience members stand to their feet together. Why do they do that? They're proud. Proud to be an American. If you really want to sense this kind of patriotic spirit, you should go to a professional baseball game on the 4th of July. I mean, the BJ's games are great, and you kind of sense that. But you, you go to the big time and you watch how in the national anthem they spread that gigantic American flag across the entire outfield and they wave it like so. And at just the right time, those fighter jets will perform a flyover. And it just puts chills on your arms. And then come the seventh inning stretch, they'll sing God bless America. And you can look all around that ballpark, whether people are, are of faith or are they not of faith? And you can see almost everybody singing along with what sometimes is a soldier on the field singing that song, God Bless America. And you get chills singing that and participating in that. And then the game finishes and, and you see these families gather together as they watch fireworks explode over the stadium. And, and you just are reminded how blessed you are to live in a free country. It's literally the American dream. I know that our country is far from perfect, but I would still contend it's the best country in all of the world. Without argument. Yet as proud as we are to be citizens of the greatest country on earth, there's actually a danger involved if we're not careful for us as believers. Because we all share a tendency while living in such a strong and prosperous country And it's this, we can easily forget that we're actually citizens of a greater country than America. We're citizens of heaven. And we have the tendency to bask in the comfort of our earthly citizenship and forget altogether that we're only pilgrims passing through. The Apostle Paul had some friends who would have struggled with this same thing based on how much they prided themselves on not being American citizens, of course, but on being Roman citizens. They lived in a town, a small town off by itself. If you lived in this small town, it was like living in imperial Rome itself. Even though Rome, they say, was 800 miles away. Of course, we know it was a small town of... Philippi and it had a unique special status the sign outside of the town would have said welcome to Philippi a colony of Rome a Colony of Rome you see they were Roman citizens and they had been up to this point for they say about 90 years It all happened when they were on the winning side in a battle that was fought on a plain just outside their city limits In fact, it was a civil war the battle was between Caesar and two of his generals the town of Philippi Historians say back Caesar, and when Caesar won, he showed him his gratitude. And as a reward, Caesar made them a colony of Rome. Lots of his top military generals would retire there. To live in Philippi was to be a citizen of Rome. You spoke Latin, you wore Roman clothing, you used Roman uh, money, and you followed Roman customs. They loved Being a Roman citizen, even though they were 800 miles away, they were proud of it. And Paul had some friends in this town that were part of a church that he helped to start. And as he wrote to them this section of the letter, wrote to a people that prided themselves on their earthly citizenship like we do our American citizenship, he's going to say to them, listen, friends at Philippi. Let me speak to you of something that you would have a tendency to forget. You are citizens of a place vastly more important than Rome. You're citizens of heaven. You as a church are a group of citizens formed not by Caesar, but by Christ. Loyal not to Rome, but to heaven. And then as Paul writes to his friends about being these citizens of heaven, he's going to stress how that this would affect their daily conduct. And he's going to urge them to live worthy of that citizenship. He calls it living worthy of the gospel. And listen, every one of us American citizens ought to pay close attention to his words. Because we share this same tendency. We're going to drop into a section of Paul's letters we just read. Just after he has finished giving them an update on his current situation. Listen up here. He said this, I've been under house arrest for two years. I was there on some trumped-up charges, but don't think that it's slowed the gospel down. Actually, it sped it up because I've been able to lead some of Caesar's personal bodyguards to Christ, and these are young men that will go forth in the empire and have a great impact and influence in the days to come. And on top of that, there's some local pastors out there and some other other believers that have taken a a, a sense of urgency and, and increased boldness in preaching the word of God because they saw my success in here. So don't feel sorry for me. And I'm not just happy about that. I'm happy about what it means for me in just a couple of months as I get to defend the gospel on the highest level of Roman government. I get to stand in Caesar's court and tell him why I do what I do. I get to put Jesus on display. And I don't know if it'll translate to my death. I don't know if it'll translate to my release. But that's irrelevant because to me, whether I live or die, it's a win-win. Because living means I get to serve Christ longer. And dying means I get to see Christ sooner. So whatever happens, happens. I'm good. But enough about me, he says. Enough about my circumstances. I want to talk to you about you. I want to talk to you about how you are to live as citizens... Of heaven, And he starts with an imperative in verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You have to understand this, this sentence in order to get the, the sense of the remaining verses. That word conversation is probably the key word in this statement. It's taken from the Greek word polituomai. It carries the basic meaning of being a citizen. When Paul said let your conversation, he wasn't referring to the way they talk to one another. He was literally saying this in his own language, living as a citizen. What's he saying exactly? Well, he's saying that more than you're citizens of Rome and more than we're citizens of America, we're citizens of heaven and we're to live as citizens, conducting ourselves, the verse says, in a manner worthy of the gospel. So the question of the text arises. If we are citizens of heaven and we live as though we are, how will that show up in our life? If we are conducting ourselves as children of God in a way that is worthy of the gospel, what does that mean exactly? He's about to tell them it means that you're going to stand for God's truth. It means you're going to strive together. You're going to stand fast in one spirit. You're going to contend for the truth of the gospel. Look at the last part of verse 27. That whether I come and see you, or be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast on spirit, watch, with one mind, striving together for the faith or the truth of the gospel. What does it look like? Paul says it looks like striving together. When he used the word striving in his own language, here's what he was referring to, an athletic event that we would call wrestling. Not wrestling as we know it where one man faces off against another man. our wrestling as I knew it, where Hulk Hogan takes on Ric Flair. That's real wrestling. He's not talking about that. He's actually talking about an event that would fill the coliseums in his day. Roaring, angry, crazy fanatics who would watch a team of six to eight to 10 men on this side Face off against a team of six to eight to ten men on this side. I don't know if you've ever watched rugby. But how they line up and they link arms together. And it looks like they're just going into each other. They are. It's crazy. This is the image of what these people would watch. These men, these strong athletic men, would link arms, and they would strive together. And and when, when whoever was in charge told them to begin, they would collide in the middle, and they would scratch, and they would claw, and they would bite, and they would break arms, and everything they had to do to be the last team standing. Whoever strove together the best won. It was such a team event. And Paul is saying that's what it means to live as citizens on earth. It's something you do together. It's not something that you do by yourself. Don't miss this. You cannot stand for God's truth by yourself and do it successfully. Thank God for the church. Thank God for for a community of believers in which we aren't left alone to do what God tells us to do. Some would say, but Tyler, I have my family. Yes, that is the next institution that God created was the family. But do you know that he created the institution of the family primarily for reproduction and companionship? And he created the institution of the church for the furtherance of the gospel. You aren't meant to do it, just you and your family. You're meant to do it with a group, a community, a body of other believers. Paul didn't say stride together with your family members. That's a great thing if they're part of your church. But he says don't try to do this thing by yourself. Link arms with one another. Unite in a common resolve to do what? Stand for the truth of the gospel. Did you notice what he didn't say we ought to stand for? He didn't say you ought to link arms, that you ought to stand fast in one spirit and in one mind for an ideology or a political issue. Uh, It's about to get real, so give me about 30 seconds of your ears. Because Paul didn't say, listen, Church of Philippi, listen, American people, in Fellowship Baptist Church in 2018. I want you to stand fast in one spirit, refuse to budge, link arms, unite in a common resolve to fight for the truth of your Second Amendment right. Well, you saying we, we shouldn't be thankful for that? Actually, I'm not. I enjoy that freedom. It's at the top of my closet. Steckle Defense has tried to teach me how to use it. I'm not real confident that I would use it. What? It hurts my thumb to load it. I know, take my man. You can shoot a gun. Come up here and preach a sermon. Let's see how well you do all I can do good, and I can't even do it good. He didn't say, stand fast in one spirit, link arms, unite in a common resolve, strive together for the faith of your favorite political candidate. Are your side of the aisle, are the hot issue of today, are your Supreme Court justice nominee." He said, I want you to stand fast in one spirit for the faith of the what? That's Jesus. That's the good news of Jesus. Enough of Christians being so loud about lesser things than the gospel. Enough of Christians being more proud about the gun they tote on their belt loop than they are the infallible, inerrant word of God that sits in their lap. Enough of Christians being so loud and so proud about the name that they post in their front yard of their favorite candidate every time four years rolls around in November. They're so proud of it. All you got to do is read their social media post. But yet they won't say a thing about the name above all names. Jesus. Oh, are you talking we ought to be passive citizens? Not at all. There's an appropriate time to take stands on local, state, and national issues. And more importantly, there's an appropriate manner in which Christians ought to do so. But not to the exclusion of making much of Jesus. May people look at Fellowship Baptist Church, whether it be our social media accounts or whether it be our conversations around town or whether it be our conversations in the KKFA or the foyer. May they walk into this place and know we are passionate about the gospel. We are linking arms and we're united in a common cause. Yes, we love our politics at times and yes, we'll go vote and yes, we'll appreciate our freedoms and if you ask, we might even tell you but you don't even have to ask for us to tell you about Jesus. That's our focus. We're going to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ before anything else. Are we okay? So here's what Paul's saying. Watch. The first movement of the text. To live worthily as citizens of heaven is to be united in a common resolve to stand for God's truth. Did you notice the very first word of verse 27? He said, only. In other words, he was saying, I I got one and only one focus for you right now and it's not your citizenship with Rome and it's not your current hot issue it's all about standing for God's truth but then he adds something to that in the next verse look at verse 28 the very first sentence and in nothing terrified by your adversaries that's added on to that imperative He's saying, what does it look like to be a worthy citizen of heaven, to conduct yourself in a way that's worthy of the gospel? And he tacks this on there in nothing, in nothing. You're being terrified, scared, intimidated by your adversaries. I can say it this way. To live worthily as citizens of heaven is to be united in a common resolve to stand for God's truth and not be scared off. That's what Paul's saying. That's what it looks like. Now, what does it look like in our life today? It might mean in high school or college. Saying, yes, I am a virgin. And with God's help, I hope to stay one until the day I'm married. I want my future spouse to know that I've never been with anyone else. That I've saved myself for them. That they're the only one who will ever be with me. And that they can count on that the rest of their life. That's what it looks like. And if someone starts to ridicule. And someone starts to make fun. You don't back down. You have a quiet strength. Because you know you're a citizen of heaven. And before you have to please anybody down here. You have to please your king up there. To live worthy of the gospel. Is to stand for God's truth. And not be scared off. It might mean and. Conversation with relatives or friends that aren't of the same faith in a conversation about religion maybe some of you had it over the Thanksgiving meal it might mean courageously and graciously saying you know what there aren't many ways to heaven there's only one way right. I know other religions will tell you that you have to do this or do that in order to have eternal life but my Bible tells me that all you need is Jesus Amen. and if someone gets agitated And a family member gets hostile, and they say that you're being narrow-minded. You know what you do? You gently and quietly answer, truth is narrow. And the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to life. The only way to the Father. And you're going to have that quiet resolve because you know that you might not be pleasing those in your family, but you are standing for the truth of God and not being scared off. It might mean in business. Saying to a boss, I'm not comfortable with lying for you. I'm not comfortable with fudging the numbers so as to get the sale and make you look better. I don't want to do business that way. And if he starts to attack her, she starts to get angry and browbeat and threaten and intimidate, you don't back down. You're a citizen of the king and you know the truth. And you don't have to give way because to live worthy of the gospel is to stand for God's truth and not be scared off. Do you understand, and I know we can't hardly even fathom this right now, but it might mean a pastor in this church having to stand for God's truth, knowing he's going to be punished for it. I'm thankful for what seems to be religious freedom for a few more years at least, but we have no idea when that will cease. And we have no idea when, if we get up here and and we preach on God's view of marriage between one man and one woman. That's not man's idea. That's not a conservative viewpoint. That is the Bible way. And we boldly but graciously at the same time preach on that stance. There might come a day when my freedom as a pastor would be taken away from me for preaching such a message. And if that happens, I would just pray that I would have some people linked arms with me. And when they haul me out, the next guy's coming up. And when they, when they haul Brother Paul out, because I know he'll be number two. <laughs> Brother Mike's still around. They, he steps up. And Brother Sid steps up and Brother Kay steps up. And then Brother Bill steps up because he's a deacon. John Knutson steps up because he's a deacon. Ed Hall steps up because he's a deacon. Mike Dominguez steps up because he's a deacon. Rick Prater steps up because he's a deacon. And when all the lay leaders are gone, I hope the treasurers will step up. Yeah. Yeah. And when they're all gone, I hope Potsy will step up. You'll have to give him a step stool up here. But I hope you'll be able, I hope he'll step up. All I'm trying to say is that day might happen. And I want us to strive together for the truth of the gospel. Listen closely. It doesn't mean we're antagonistic. It doesn't mean we're out looking for a fight. But it does mean if we're going to strive together for the truth of the gospel, that it will at times bring opposition in our lives. And when it comes, we don't have to be arrogant and we don't have to be annoying, but we don't have to back down either. We're being loyal to our King. And listen, when Paul says, when we live that way, please get this. When we stand for the truth and can't be scared off, something is happening. A sign is being given. And it's a two-way sign. On one side, it's a sign to our unbelieving adversaries. On the other side, it's a sign of assurance to those of us who are believers and might be suffering for our stand for God's truth. Look at verse 28, I'll show you. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, watch, which is to them an evident token, that word means sign, of perdition, which means destruction or judgment. What's Paul saying? He's saying that when we stand for God's truth, And no amount of ridicule or or harassment can get us to back down. And no threat of punishment can intimidate us. And no fear of loss or litigation can make us change. When we stand for God's truth and cannot be scared off, some disturbing impression is made on our opponents that they're wrong. And they're under God's judgment. That's what he's saying. You might think, well, how does that happen? Well, think about it. When a high school or college student takes a stand and decides to remain a virgin until marriage, which, by the way, is God's plan. And a Christian graciously stands even against their own family for the truth that there's only one way to heaven. And when a businessman or woman respectfully stands against a dishonest business practice, and when they stand fast in that stance, even though he or she is being ridiculed and threatened, watch, a disturbing impression comes on their hearts, those accusers those adversaries, they know it's not natural for someone to take a stand against the, the, the ridicule or the, hospi- or the hostility of a group of people. Deep in their heart, something's happening when they see us take a silent stand or, or even a loud stand with a gracious spirit because they know it's not gra- its not natural for when a group browbeats or threatens, it's not natural for, for, for people to not cave in. They know the normal human response is that when people see that they're going to be penalized for holding a certain viewpoint or position, those people usually end up backing off. But when they see us as believers continue to stand without being intimidated, without being scared off, it makes a disturbing impression on them because something unexplainable is happening. They see in us a quiet resolve that they don't have. They see a certainty, and they see a strength, and they see a poise that can't be explained as coming from somewhere else. And deep in their hearts, a voice is almost telling them this. You know they're right. And unless you change, you'll be under the judgment of the God who's in them. No, no, no. You may, you may not see them change. But God will use your stand. He'll use your witness to let them know they should change. They might not admit it. But when you're graciously standing for God's truth and not being scared off, the Spirit of God is convicting their heart. That's what happens when you stand for the truth of the gospel and refuse to be scared off. Your stand serves as a sign of the lost that they need to repent. But at the same time, This is beautiful. Paul says there's an affirming confidence that comes to us. There's an assurance that comes to the believer. Now tune in with me, verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you, that's to you believers, of salvation and that of God. Some of you are having a hard time staying awake. Look up here. When we stand for the truth, And cannot be scared off. Watch here. Even though we may suffer for it, it's a proof. It's an assurance that we are genuinely saved. And that we belong to God. You may be thinking, how is this the case? How does our standing firm and even suffering for the truth become a proof to us that our salvation is secure? Because our suffering according to scripture, is God's way of identifying those who truly belong to him. I'll prove it to you. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The implication is clear. If you're suffering for righteousness, hey, watch here, not suffering because you're being antagonistic. Not suffering because you're out on the corner picketing something that's lesser than the gospel. You hear me? Not something that you're bringing on yourself. When you're suffering for God's truth, it indicates that you're living a godly life. And in fact, you are in Christ. You're saved. He takes it a step further in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So if you're going through hardships for the sake of righteousness, it's a confirmation that you're on your way to reign with Christ forever. Are you getting this? And Paul goes on in verse 29 to actually say that this kind of suffering in the midst of standing for God's truth is a gift to us. It's hard to look at it that way. But it's a gift. Look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Have you ever gotten a gift for Christmas and thought to yourself, I sure hope the gift receipts in this thing. So our Nana, Jenny's Nana, um, she doesn't listen to these recordings, does she? Well, Bless her. heart. I love you, Nana, if you chose to listen to this one. She gets me a, a Christmas gift every year. I just received it when she, while we were up in El Dorado for Thanksgiving. And it's always clothes, And it's always a size too small. I'm thankful that she thinks I'm a medium. I'm not a medium. It's always a color that doesn't really look great it's always a style that I don't prefer and I'm always thinking to myself please say she has the gift receipt in the thing or at least the tag still on it right don't don't look at me pious like you've never thought that about your grandma's <laughs> gifts you're gonna receive something this Christmas from your grandma that you don't like and you're gonna have to pretend oh this is great grandma This is amazing this is great And then you're going to tell your wife, or you're going to tell your husband, is there a receipt in that? God's saying this, there's not a gift receipt in the box of suffering. This gift's too valuable. This gift's too special. It tells you something too wonderful. Because it tells you that you truly belong to Him. When you suffer, watch, it's God's way of telling you, hey, you're mine. You're saved. You're a child of the king. So maybe instead of rejecting such a gift, I'm not going to take a stand because it might mean rejection. I'm not going to take a stand because it might mean my family alienates me. I'm not going to take a stand because it might not get me the promotion I've been working hard for. Instead of rejecting such a gift, why don't you graciously stand for God's truth? And then accept whatever comes your way as an honor from your king. I don't go to bed hoping I get to suffer the next day. Because I get to make somebody mad with my stand. That is just arrogant. But if the time ever comes for me to stand for God's truth. I hope I will have the resolve to do so. And if something comes my way because of it that's negative. I hope I'll receive it as God's assurance that I belong to him. Speaking of gifts, let's, let's wrap the text with a pretty little bow. Here's what it means. To live worthily as citizens of heaven It's to unite in a common resolve to stand for God's truth and not be scared off, knowing deep in your heart that you belong to him. That's what Paul's trying to tell the church at Philippi. And it's what he's trying to tell us God help us live worthily as citizens of heaven and conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you agree with God's word today, say amen. Amen. How do you respond to it? What do we do now? I'll tell you what you don't do. You refuse to be a hearer of the word only. You refuse to think, well, none of that really applies to me. You refuse to go out of here without ever talking to God one time. How do you respond to such a truth? Let me talk to a first group of people. You cannot stand for the truth of the gospel, hear this, until you've let the gospel change your life. Do you know for sure, young man, young lady, sir, ma'am, grandparent? Do you know for sure if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? Do you know that your citizenship is there? How do I know that? Can you go back to a place where you understand God's truth for you? That he, that, 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 that he, he died and was buried but rose again to give you eternal life and that was explained to you and you humbly by faith accepted that. Do you, do you remember that? If not, it's so simple. The first thing you do is you admit you're a sinner. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Then you just believe that Jesus died for your sin. While you were yet a sinner, God commendeth or demonstrated his love for you. And that while you were still sinner, he sent Jesus to die for you. And it's not good enough just to know it up here. You've got to call upon God to save you at that point. You need to call out in prayer and in humility and in faith. And say, God, I'm done trying to earn my way to you. I'm done trying to get my act together. I'm done trying to turn over a new leaf. I want to accept your son Jesus into my life. Would you save me? And here's his promise. He will. And he'll do it right away. And once he does, he will seal that up. And you are safe for all of eternity. You'll have a chance to do that today in a moment. Brother Tyler, I'm already saved. And I want you to examine your heart and I want you to ask yourself, am I conducting my, myself in a way that's worthy of the gospel? Am I really taking a stand for God's truth? Or do I find myself throughout the week when that opportunity arises, I just kind of back off and I just back off and I just back off. I, I just don't want to cause any friction. I don't want to stand up for what's right. Or maybe you have been standing up for what's right and you're just getting tired of doing it. Because the, bush, the, the pushback is just more than you can handle sometimes. And you're about to throw in the towel and say, you know what, I'm not going to link arms with anybody anymore. It's God's stuff has got me in trouble one too many times. And maybe you need to come today and, and say, God, help me to renew my resolve to strive together for the gospel. And if none of those apply to you, guess what? God says my house should be a house of prayer. Meaning I should look down in this place, And by the response to God's word, I should be able to say "A Fellowship Baptist Church, wow, they're serious about talking to me. They're serious about praying. And I love it that we give you an opportunity to do that. And in a moment, we'll stand and I'll pray. Brother Mike will sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. If you need to get saved, our pastor will be right here. Come see him. If you need to renew your resolve, come do it. If you just need to pray. God, help our church to strive together for the truth of the gospel and never be scared off. Come do it. If you can't pray for yourself, pray for me. I need it. Stand to your feet. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that it's accurate. Thank you that it's relevant for our everyday lives. Thank you for the freedom to assemble today. Save the lost. Renew the resolve of every Christian in this place and make Fellowship Baptist Church a place that stands together for the truth of the gospel and your most precious name. Amen.